0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Whatever happened to the middle ground? You know what I mean? I'm not trying to be flippant or anything, and I was thinking about this long before any news hit the newsstands or internet this week. It just seems like in these days we are faced with such a hot and cold approach to every single topic. We could blame the news media, we could blame the blazing fast computers in our pockets offering up opinions on demand and information, an endless supply of information but without wisdom. There's so many things we could blame. There seems to be a lot fewer cases where it's possible to occupy a middle or moderate position on, well, just about anything. Not that that is always a great thing either, though, but still... We face a country and a world divided. The extremes seem more extreme than they ever have before, but who's to blame? The human heart. How do we, the people who profess to hold fast to God's radical grace, fit into a world of culture and a world and a culture of outrage? This isn't really anything new. Maybe You knew one of these kids growing up on the playground, although you probably didn't have him in Prairie Town because people are too nice here. But there was always this one little kid on the playground who had a much bigger, stronger friend who really thought that he was something because he knew his bigger, tougher friend would back him up. That's the situation that I saw in reading our gospel text for this morning with James and John. Not that they're little shrimpy kids with a big mouth, but they know that Jesus is so powerful and that he has heaven's armies on his side at all times. And so they're offended on behalf of Jesus. Jesus, you want us to call down fire from above? Whoa! Pump the brakes here, fishermen. Of course, there's a long and complicated history there. We spent a couple of weeks in our Sunday Bible class dealing with the conflict between Samaritans and Jews, but suffice it to say that they didn't get along. Even extra-biblical sources, like the first-century historian Josephus, notes that these tensions often resulted in Samaritans attacking Jewish pilgrims on their way from Galilee to Jerusalem even resulting in death at times. And so these two, the so-called sons of thunder, are ready to fire it up. Jesus, just say the word, and we'll smoke these fools with heavenly fire. But Jesus isn't having any of it. This is a pretty strong reaction, too, considering the context here in Luke's gospel. The last time Jesus rebuked anyone in Luke was actually earlier in this chapter, and it was an unclean spirit. The same reaction to the disciples here. But we can sympathize with these guys a little bit, can't we? Haven't you ever wanted to call down heavenly fire on Christ's enemies? The story of the Reformation would be a lot shorter if Luther and company could have done just that. I wouldn't even have to work on a PhD in that topic because it would be a one-page book. They called down fire and that was it. All of church history would be a lot shorter if we could do such a thing, but it doesn't work that way. This is not something new for us, the desire for God to punish the wicked. Take, for example, the Psalms, the Psalter. Israel's hymn book. Of the 151 Psalms, about one-third of them are properly classified as laments. In other words, prayers to God asking Him to fix things that are broken in the world or broken in our own lives. Of that one-third, a goodly portion of them are called imprecatory Psalms, which is a fancy way of saying, God, I want you to kill my enemies and your enemies. And do all sorts of horrible things to them. And some of the Psalms even get pretty graphic. So for James and John to ask this of Jesus isn't a faithless thing. In fact, asking for divine retribution is a pretty faithful thing. When the alternative is human retribution and revenge. James and John are like that little kid on the playground with a really big strong friend. They know what Jesus is capable of. They know the source of Jesus' power, at least to some extent. In other words, they trust and believe in him. Their zeal and their devotion for Jesus is admirable. We can often relate to moments like these. I can't blame these guys. God has rained down judgment on the wicked before. And this Samaritan rejection of Jesus seems like a suitable enough occasion for it to happen again. But what they don't quite understand, however, is the nature of Christian service and ministry. They have not quite yet learned the full nature of the Christian life. Life as a Christian is a life of suffering for the sake of Christ. As much as we would like God to step in and defend himself once in a while, judgment and vengeance are always on his terms. It's not up to us to decide. We are to patiently endure, showing love and mercy where we can and moving on where we can't. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus has told them to simply shake off the dust from towns like that and move on. I wish some of us as Christians today could get this through our heads when using social media. There's a very wonderful technique for avoiding conflict on Facebook. Do you know what that is? If you see something you don't like, you don't actually have to comment on it. You can just scroll and move on. Shake off the dust from your finger and scroll on. Roll and scroll. (laughs) We likewise live in a time that is increasingly hostile to Jesus. We would love for Jesus to step in and defend himself once in a while. But most of the time this is sincere concern and respect for his name. But once in a while, we want Jesus to do this because maybe we'll feel a little less embarrassed of ourselves. A big portion of the Christian life is dealing with the shame of looking like the only ones going against the flow. The advice that we often hear from those outside Christianity today is, well, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. We may often think that being insulted or ridiculed as Christians is noble because Christ is being insulted or ridiculed in the process. But if we admit deep down, we often don't like when Christ is insulted because we feel insulted too. Can't we do something about this, Jesus? You want me to rain down fire from heaven? Can't you just step in and show everybody the things that we know to be true? But there's another reason behind the Samaritan rejection of Jesus in this text. Luke says that Jesus' face was set toward Jerusalem. And this is the reason for their rejection. And don't mistake this as some sort of ethnic or racial thing. Jesus here is of singular mind on a mission. He is focused squarely on one thing, and that one thing will happen in Jerusalem. This is why he came to save. He came to save, to suffer, to die in the place of the insulting rejectors and the zealous followers alike. Move on, he says. Shake off the dust. Jesus is a man on a mission, the God-man on a mission, and nothing is going to slow him down. He didn't come to win any popularity contests. He didn't come to establish a less broken version of civil government. He didn't even come to demand his rightful respect as David's heir. Although the kings of Judah and the Samaritans' ancestors in the northern kingdom of Israel both found common lineage in David. No, Jesus came not to win to lose he came to die he came to lay it all down for the sake of his people even the people actively rejecting him there is no slowing down on this mission and here in Luke 9 for the time being there wasn't even time for a funeral two chapters earlier Jesus had already crashed the funeral of a young man and raised him up but now there's no time to spare His face is set toward Jerusalem. Don't put your hand to the plow and look back because there's no time. There may have been time in Elisha's day, but there's no time now. The mission that Jesus is fixed on accomplishing was about to make that man's funeral and every funeral to come a whole lot different because Jesus was on the way to defeat death itself. His face was set toward Jerusalem. His face was set toward your salvation. We often, especially argumentative types like me, we often feel like sons of thunder in a world that is so hostile to Jesus. There's nothing new. It has always been hostile to Jesus. Always has been, make no mistake. Our history won't save us. Make no mistake about the myth of a Christian America, there never has been, even if there used to be a lot more Christians in our country. Jesus' kingdom is beyond this world. And in the church, repristination won't save us either. If we could just get back to the good old days, our problems would be solved. The good old days weren't really as good as we remember. You see, the human heart has been wrenched in two since our first parents reached for the wrong fruit. Even the well-meaning disciples weren't perfect. James and John don't have nearly as many gaffes in the Gospels as some of the other apostles do, (coughs) Peter. But even they weren't perfect. There's always going to be a temptation for us To try and establish an earthly kingdom of God. We'll always be tempted to take matters into our own hands. You see, Peter whips that sword out and cuts the servant's ear off. We're all prone to this. It was true of the 16th century reformation. It was true of the apostles and it's true of us now. But vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Because Jesus' face was set toward Jerusalem, he has instead brought about a whole new different way of living. A whole new way of perceiving reality itself. There really doesn't need to be the middle ground that we perhaps yearn for, because wherever Jesus goes is holy ground. He's turned our graveyards into gardens. Seeds planted for the day of his return when all our sad divisions cease. We don't have any need to establish an earthly kingdom for God. He's already done it. Wherever this news of Jesus is proclaimed to sinners, which includes all of us, the rejectors and the believers alike, wherever this news is proclaimed to us sinners, Jesus reigns. Amen. The peace of our God that surpasses all human understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.